and welcome to the latest episode in our Herbert Smith Freehills public M&A podcast series. My name's Antonia Kirkby and I'm joined today by Greg Mully. Today we are going to be discussing the impact that shareholders can have on a bid. Now, avid listeners may remember that Harriet Forrest and I discussed this in an episode last year, but I think this might actually become an annual topic as shareholders are continuing to be as vocal and influential as ever. And we've seen it on a number of recent transactions, and we just thought it would be interesting to chat about those situations and hear about the different approaches that they take and the impact they have. So, Greg, should we start by talking about the different ways that shareholders can influence public M&A? Thanks, Antonia. I think there are a number of ways we can look at this. And one way we've split it before is between encouraging M&A, so encouraging disposals or breakups or, in fact, a takeover, another category of affecting M&A deals that are there, so sweetening the deal or, or so-called bumpetrage. And I guess the third way is threatening existing M&A processes, so threatening to scuttle the deal, opposing deals or related aspects to them. So I think we can think about them in those three categories. Okay, so should we just start taking each category in turn? What, what examples have we seen recently of shareholders encouraging M&A? Well, I think I'd call out three, and the first would be the Prudential deal. So shareholders of Prudential had complained that there was little reason for Prudential's three main businesses, which were spread across three big markets, the UK, US and Asia, all being together. And in October 2019, Prudential had, in fact, demerged M&G, its UK unit. But since then, they'd been under pressure from the activist investor third point run by Dan Loeb to spin off the US as well. And so in August 2020, Prudential announced its intention to fully separate its US business, either by way of IPO or demerger to shareholders in order to focus on its Asia and Africa operations. So it's an example of shareholders encouraging M&A. I think the next one I'd look at would be the countrywide takeover. Countrywide had been under some pressure and was weighing rescue operations, financial pressure that is. It had received a proposal in October 2020 from Alchemy for a strategic cornerstone investment and also an offer at about 135p per share, which also included a fully underwritten equity raising, underwritten by Alchemy. But Catalyst Partners, which was a 10.5% shareholder in Countrywide, opposed the equity raise. I think it's interesting to see how they came out. They said, Catalyst Partners notes Countrywide's announcement. As one of the company's largest shareholders, Catalyst strongly opposes this unnecessary, ill-judged and dilutive transaction, which, while clearly a very attractive deal for Alchemy, is destructive for shareholders and only serves to fund the continuation of a flawed back-to-basics business plan. So quite a vocal objection. Following that, Connells then came out with a competing bid. That was in December. Countrywide rejected the first approach. Alchemy tabled another proposal, but then Connells increased its offer. And the revised competing bid by Connells was recommended. And that came through at 395p, which was significantly more than things before. And then I think, Antonia, the third one I'd point out would be Volga Gas, which is really an interesting shareholder break fee support arrangement. And in that deal, Volga Gas had been the subject of a strategic review and had announced a formal sales process in April 2020. And I know separately we've looked at how formal sale processes work. But then in August, 
one of the main shareholders, Dehus Dolman nominees, which were a 58.81% shareholder in Volga, agreed to pay the bidder which had emerged, and the bidder was Gem Capital, up to $200,000 on account of their professional advisors' due diligence costs if the offer didn't complete. The offer didn't proceed in the end because the target directors didn't think the offer price was sufficient. And interesting, the break fee wasn't payable either because the long stop date wasn't reached. But I think it's still a very interesting example of a shareholder seeking to encourage a specific bid. Yeah, the, the Volga gas situation is a good example of some practical steps shareholders can take to try and sort of encourage or influence M&A. And as you say, the language by Catalyst Partners was very uh, strong and powerful, wasn't it, on the countrywide bid. So we've talked about encouraging M&A. Should we move on now to situations where shareholders have affected M&A? Yeah, sure. And again, a few examples here, Antonia. The first is seeking to increase the price on a takeover offer or otherwise disrupt it. And we've currently got the CAS Minerals takeover, which is a good example both of a major shareholder making a bid to take the company private, but then other shareholders seeking to disrupt this bid and apply pressure. So just by way of background, interestingly, CAS Minerals has got major copper projects in Kazakhstan, and it's also acquired another in Russia, which it's looking to develop. And through the course of this bid, the copper price has been rising significantly. Back in October, Nova Resources announced its offer by way of a scheme, and Nova held 39.9% of the issued share capital then, but had irrevocables taking it up to 50.17%. But then two of the next largest shareholders urged other shareholders to vote against the scheme unless the offer value was increased. They thought it was wildly undervalued. In the course of the bid, Nova delayed the scheme meetings and then switched from a scheme to an offer and, in fact, increased the offer. But the two largest shareholders continue to insist now that the offer is unacceptable. In February, and to give some context, the original offer was at 640p and then in February increased to 780. But now the shares are still trading at 830 and have been as high as 858 pence. So I think that's an interesting one and suggests that people think there might be more to come. I think the next example here, Antonia, is in relation to facilitating bids and stub equity. And just to give a bit of background, there are often examples of differing views on valuation of a takeover offer, often because of some future contingency which might impact on the value of the company once the takeover completes, and a concern from shareholders that the bidder isn't sufficiently factoring these into its bid price. Now, apart from more structured solutions like contingent value rights, which we won't talk about here, what listed bidders sometimes do to seek to address this is offer a share alternative to their cash bid so that target shareholders can have an ongoing interest in the combined business. But for a private equity bidder, which by definition isn't listed, it doesn't have listed stock in itself to offer. And so what it sometimes does is offer an alternative to cash, which we call stub equity, which is unlisted stock in the target. And even though that's illiquid, it does give shareholders an ability to participate in the business post-completion. Of course, only certain sorts of shareholders are going to be attracted by this alternative, but we have seen a couple of recent examples. And in both cases, these were put in place to win the support when shareholders wanted to retain an interest in the enlarged group. And so the first one of those was the Tauerbrook-Warburg offer for a 
that involved an unlisted securities alternative. And the same sort of structure was used for the Tosca Fund Penta offer for TalkTalk. So we had gone some while before seeing too many of those, and we've, we've seen a couple recently. And I think in this category, Antony, the third thing I'd call out would be blocking a competing offer. And the Signature Aviation deal is a good one there. So Signature Aviation had been subject to a bidding war between global infrastructure partners, Blackstone, and Cascade Investment Fund, which is the Bill and Melinda Gates Wealth Management Fund. It looked as though Global Infrastructure Fund was successful. And after five different rounds of takeover offers back in January, uh, they had theirs accepted. But Blackstone came back and formed a consortium. So they teamed up both with Global Infrastructure Partners and also Cascade and together tabled an even higher offer. And this does look set to succeed, despite the possible offer from Carlisle. And that's because Cascade, remember Cascade's part of the consortium, is also a 19% shareholder. And as part of the consortium arrangements, they've agreed to vote against any competing offers. So I think them being a shareholder shows how influential they can be and affect the outcome of a bid. Yeah, thanks, Greg. And then moving on to our final category, you mentioned threatening M&A, and I think this is possibly one of the more interesting areas as well to explore a little bit more. What examples have we seen in recent months? Yeah, sure. I think the first one to call out would be the serious minerals bid by Anglo-American. So Anglo had made a cash offer for Sirius, which the Sirius board had recommended, having explored various other funding options. And then hedge fund Odie Asset Management, having recently acquired a small holding, 1.29%, published an email setting out its view that the offer from Anglo didn't represent fair value. And Odie confirmed it would vote against the current bid unless it was increased and it urged other shareholders to do the same. Odie was arguing that because Anglo hadn't declared its offer final, what Anglo was in fact doing was retaining the option to pay more if an interloper emerged. And so Odie was arguing that Anglo could and should pay more. The other notable thing here, Antonio, was that there were 85,000 retail investors with holdings in Sirius. So they could potentially disrupt the ability for the offer to be affected by way of scheme, because as we know, you need to have a majority in number vote in favour. So a number of different factors at play there. Ultimately, the takeover went ahead without an increased offer being made, but it does show what some of those shareholder threatening and structural aspects can be. The next one in this category is golf marine services, when you can have shareholders come out in favour of the company against an offer. And what happened in this case is Seafox came forward and made a non-binding proposal to the board of golf marine. Gulf Marine then, as well as getting the normal financial advice on the offer, consulted broadly with its shareholders, and following that, the board rejected the offer. Gulf Marine then went and acquired letters of support from its shareholders, and shareholders indicated that they were fully supportive of Gulf Marine and its management, confirmed that they had no intention of accepting a possible offer. The letters of support represented 52.24% of the issued share capital, and so ultimately, CFOX didn't make an offer for Gulf Marine. And then, Antonia, I think the last one 
is AA, where Albert Bridge Capital, which was the largest shareholder with about 20%, urged other shareholders to reject the Tarbrook Capital and Warburg Pincus bid to buy AA. And in a letter, they outlined the offer as derisory. Now, ultimately, the offer was approved and the takeover went ahead. But again, it shows shareholders trying to scupper deals. And similar public statements have been made, I think, as we've seen in relation to other recent offers. Uh, and one that comes to mind is the Scapa Group by SWM. Uh, but I did notice that it got shareholder approval last week. Yeah, so the Scapa one's interesting because it was a kind of a technique that we saw, you've mentioned on a pretty other bid, where Scapa did increase its offer and then stated its final. And I think bidders are increasingly looking to use that making their offer final as a tactic to sort of shut down further discussion amongst shareholders. But obviously that carries risks in itself, as we saw on a bid last year for RPC. And actually we've seen, again, you know, I think this theme is just coming up on a series of bids at the moment, and it's only going to increase, I feel, because we've seen the bidder for AFH being forced to increase its offer, and it had to delay the shareholder meetings to approve the scheme because the 13% shareholder was holding out. Once it increased its offer, that shareholder gave an irrevocable undertaking to accept the offer. And again, William Hill, which is, I think, due in court next week, another shareholder said it will object to the scheme at the sanction hearing then. So again, presumably that shareholder looking for an increased and better offer. So as I said, I think this is a tactic we're going to see on more and more bids. You know, a few years ago, it's perhaps quite unusual. It'd be once or twice a year we'd see this sort of tactic going on. And now we're seeing numerous instances, even in the past sort of year since we last discussed it. So it'll be interesting to see how these uh, shareholders carry on deploying these tactics and how bidders and targets carry on reacting to them. And I'm sure we'll be back in a year or so, or even maybe less, discussing more, even more examples. So thank you, Greg, for joining me today. And thank you to you, to our listeners. We'd welcome any feedback or thoughts you have on our podcast and any areas you'd like to see discussed in future episodes. And we look forward to you joining us on our next one. Many thanks. Bye.